Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to the Renaissance English History Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Tesco, and I'm a storyteller who makes history accessible because I believe it's a pathway to understanding who we are, our place in the universe, and being so much more deeply in touch with our own humanity. So this is a special episode because this is a recording of three of the talks from TudorCon 2020. So it was all online in 2020 because we all just lived our lives online. And I have not released these talks out to the podcast feed yet. Um, I've just been kind of holding on to them. And I wanted to release them because you only have about a month left to get your tickets for TudorCon 2022, which will be in person in beautiful Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I don't have a lot of tickets left. But the thing I am going to tell you, the offer that I have, is that I have set up installment payments, interest-free installment payments, so you can pay over 12 months if you want to come. All you have to do is go to englandcast.com slash TudorCon to read about TudorCon, decide if you want to come. When you decide you want to come, just click to buy your ticket. That'll take you over to my online shop. And put it in your cart. Check out as normal. And when you go to check out, choose shop pay. That is the installment setup. So you can actually pay over up to 12 months. So it'd be about $25 a month um, with zero interest. So you can come to TudorCon in September, September 9th through 11th, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Here's some amazing speakers. There's going to be a couple of evenings at the Renaissance Fair. Um, feast, music, all kinds of good fun. Um, you can come and get your tickets, englandcast.com slash TudorCon. So this recording is the first three talks from TudorCon 2020. Carol Ann Lloyd and Janet Wertman, both of whom are speaking at this year's TudorCon in person, and um, Sarah Morris, the Tudor Travel Guide. And so it's long. Like I think this whole thing is going to be about three hours long. I get it's a commitment. You're not going to listen to it all at once. I understand that. But I wanted to give you a sense of kind of what TudorCon is like, the kinds of talks that happen, and just give you a chance to see what it's like. This, of course, was the virtual one in person. It's a lot more fun. <laughs> so um, Carol Ann Lloyd, Janet Wortman, and Sarah Morris, check out their work. They have amazing YouTube channels and podcasts and all of the places, all of the things. Um, I love each of them for various reasons. Uh, and they are all very, very special people to me. And I'm very, very glad that they were able to speak at TudorCon. And that two of the three of them will be back this year. And that I know them. <laughs> They're, they're awesome. So I'm sure you probably know them already if you're listening to me, but if you don't, you're in for a treat. So I'm just going to turn it over to Carol Ann, Janet, and Sarah Morris. Remember, englandcast.com slash TudorCon to get your tickets for this year. You can pay on the payment plan, zero interest, or you can just pay up front, whatever works. 
but you really only have about a month left. I'm going to cut off the sales in about a month because I need to give final numbers for catering and all that kind of stuff. So if you want to do it, now's the time. Enjoy these talks. I hope you learn a lot and uh, hopefully we'll see you at TutorCon if it works. All right. Have a wonderful 4th of July weekend. See, I did this the 4th of July weekend because I figured you might have some extra time on your hands. So you might just want to fill that with tutor stuff, right? You can thank me later. <laughs> All right. Have a great weekend. And I'm just turning it over to the TutorCon speakers now. <laughs> Bye. That might help just a little bit by, you know, right there. It's like, oh, if you're if you're listening on, if you're watching on the, you know, speaker view. <laughs> you um, yeah, and somebody said, can we listen to the YouTube right now? Um, yeah, you can listen, and it's up there now. She she sent me that link this morning, so I'll paste it in the in the Tutor Learning Circle group as well. Um, Bobby, I just put the link in, and it's there again. Um, so. We so that's up and check that out. So, Janet, hi. Hello. Hi, it's lovely to see you. Thank you wonderful. so much for being it here. It is so wonderful um, to be here, and thank you for putting this together. You know, it, it's not a wine bar in the middle of a Renaissance fair, but we're 500 years back in history, and that's really the only place that we really want to be. So, I know. This, it's perfect. It's awesome. So um, let's just get you going right now. You're here. Life is good. It's nine o'clock in the morning where you are. Um, I, I'm going to make you the, do you have slides you want? You know, I have slides, but I, I wasn't sure if I was going to use them. So they're nowhere near as good as you just saw. Okay. <laughs> but so I, so I will. I don't need to make you the co-presenter then, because you don't need to. You don't need to share your screen, huh? Okay. So you guys, Janet Wortman is the author of the Seymour trilogy, um, which starts with Jane the Queen and the Path to Somerset, and her new one, The Boy King, which just came out like a day ago or something. <laughs> so thirtieth <laughs> Wednesday. Okay, perfect. So congratulations on your book release. And she is going to talk about the reign of Edward VI. And I am so glad that you are here. Welcome to TutorCon. And thank you for being here. I am so glad to be here and, and talking about um, the Seymours, um, basically. So last year, I did the talk not so much about Edward VI, but about all of the Seymours. And I, I opened up the talk with, okay, who hates the Seymours? And so many hands went up. <laughs> it was good. But now more people are getting into the game. Um, I'm going to be having, I'm going to be joined soon by Adrian Dillard, who is also going to be trying to rehabilitate Jane. I know that Rebecca Larson is um, defending Tom, and she's going to have some issues with a bunch of the things I say here. And we'll walk a lot of them back in the talk right following. So, it, you know, um, so it, because of that, I might go a little bit further than I might have gone, knowing that you are going to be hearing from her right after that. Um, but so far, I am the only person um, other than Martin, um, a very long time ago, to have given a voice to Edward VI. Um, uh, during his reign, the personal was the political, because all that stuff that kings do, Edward was too young. He came to the throne at age nine, so other people's actions defined his life. 
Um, so we have Tom Seymour wanting power, doing risky things to get it. We have Somerset bungling a bunch of policies being thrown apart by Northumberland. We have the switch from Spain to France as England's bestie, religious reforms that got undone by his successor, though the Book of Common Prayer lasted. We'll get to that. Um, I'm gonna start us off with a little bit of context. Um, yes, he died early, but Edward was a healthy baby. And we know this because um, everybody was watching him. You know, Henry VIII had been waiting for a son who was going to live. So everyone was looking at this kid, you know, is he going to live? So we have the reports that he suckled strongly from the outset. And, you know, um, he was a nice little chubby child. Um, we also know that he was strong enough to shrug off a life-threatening quartan fever at age four. Now, how he got that fever? Lord only knows, because Henry was a hypochondriac himself and um, had exacting standards of cleanliness and basically told everyone, this is England's most precious jewel, don't screw this up. Um, but he got it, he got over it. Um, this would have made his caretakers altogether extremely cautious. So there was a bunch of cops cosseting while he was among the women. And I use that phrase because Edward used it. Um, it's a very um, tutored thing. Until a child was six years old, they were raised exclusively by women. And then they turned six and they were breached, meaning that they put on breeches if they were boys. Um, and so at six is when a tutor boy's education began. And coincidentally, um, when Edward turned six, Catherine Parr had been married to Henry VIII for six months. And she had created this whole family heart atmosphere that Henry really hadn't had with any of his other wives. Maybe Catherine of Aragon early on, but there was just Mary and Henry was wanting more. But so Catherine was also learned and she, because of that, was trusting, was in a position, and she pushed, she was able to um, select Edward's tutors, essentially, or at least recommend them, and she recommended very reformist um, tutors, uh, J uh, Richard Cox and, and John Check. Now, when I say reformist, it was kind of like a, a wink and a nod because everyone was exactly what Henry was at this time, but they, they turned out to be very reformist. And that really set Edward up as the reformist that he was. Um, he was bookish and intellectual. Um, that doesn't mean he didn't enjoy archery and tennis and riding. Um, he did have a wild side. Um, there's this wonderful story, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but there's this really great story um, shortly after he came to the throne and they had him um, give knighthoods to six men from the city. And so he had the sword of state in his hand and he looks at his friend Nicholas Throckmorton and says, want to be a knight? <laughs> and Nicholas is smart enough to say, I, I, I don't want other people to be jealous. This could be bad, you shouldn't. And Edward says, no, 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 come here. I'm gonna make you a knight, I'm gonna make you a knight. And chases him through the palace, sword of state, upraised in his hand, come here, come here, come here, manages to, you know, give him the magic little tap on the shoulder because that's what did it, guys, just a little tap, manages to do that without, like, drawing blood or anything like that. So that's how Nicholas Throckmorton got his knighthood originally. So Edward did have, like, could be possessed. Um, he actually could have outcrazied Henry, but that's, that's speculation for a different time. Um, anyway. He, he's nine, he gets to the throne. Um, he's too young to rule himself. He's gotta have others rule in his name. Now, his father had technically done this. In his will, he appointed a regency council where um, the council would do everything by together. There was not gonna be a single person who was going to take power. In the Tudor era, this was problematic because you really did need to look to a single person. So 
it was easy for people to believe, as Edward Seymour claimed immediately, that on his deathbed, Henry had changed his mind and, and wanted Edward to be protector. Um, Edward, was, Edward Seymour was also helped in this because Henry had, had included in his will the unfulfilled gifts clause, basically saying that, you know, I've made a bunch of gifts and bequests, but I may have left something out if I have my executors have the right to fix that because they know my mind. And with this clause, Edward Seymour was able to get a lot of people to agree with him. Yes, you should be. So from now on, here's the, the wonderful part about this. I get to call Edward Seymour Somerset, um, which is important because there are a lot of Edwards in my talk. Um, so from now on, um, Edward Seymour is Somerset. And he was the natural choice um, for a single person. He was family. He was the king's uncle but he wasn't in a position to try to take the throne himself. Um, like, like the last Edward who would come to the throne as a minor, Edward V, whose uncle Richard III took it. Um, so it's, he was also, Somerset, the leader of the Protestant faction, um, because and that was the only one left because shortly before henry died the catholic faction blew up on a single day in november which was pretty wild so on that day henry knew he was sickly didn't really want to admit he was dying but wanted to make things easier um, and was consolidating his properties to make them easier to manage on his son's behalf and he looks at stephen gardner bishop stephen gardner and says trade me these lands and gardner says no <laughs> that was kind of it for gardner gardner gets thrown off the regency council and henry says i don't ever want to see that man's face again and he never does on the same day, Richard Southwell comes back and says, you know, I was just over at the Earl of Surrey's house and he's ordered the arms of Edward the Confessor with his. I think he wants to, I think Nor Norfolk is going to try to take over the Regency Council after this and probably. Um, and then a couple of other people come forward to say, you know, yeah, they promised me the, um, the chancellorship. So, Surrey and Norfolk <clears throat> are in prison. Surrey gets executed. Norfolk escapes um, literally the day because, um, sorry, um, because when somebody is going to be executed, the constable of the tower comes back to let the monarch know, okay, arrangements are ready, shall we proceed? And the monarch has to say yes. But at this point, Henry was literally about to die a couple of hours later. He was comatose and wasn't able to give this um, authorization. So Norfolk's life was saved. Um, that, that guy really did have nine lives. Anyway, um, so. Edward comes, Edward VI comes to the throne. Edward Seymour uh, is now Duke of Somerset, um, Lord Protector. Edward had two uncles. Edward had um, Thomas Seymour as well. And Thomas Seymour expected to get a little bit more than what he got. Um, so a little bit of backstory. Edward Seymour was the serious one, the oldest Seymour son, the heir. He was groomed for it, trained for it. He was a page to Mary Tudor at 14, knighted by the Duke of Suffolk during a military campaign in France at 23. He was master of horse to Henry Fitzroy at 25, esquire of the body to Henry at 31. He even accompanied Henry and Anne Boleyn to um, Calais in 1532 when they met Francis. That was a really small trip, so Edward Seymour was there. Um, and then once Henry started hanging out with Jane so much, Edward was promoted to gentleman of the Privy Chamber. When they got married, Edward became Viscount Beecham. When Jane had her son, he got the Earldom of Hertford. Um, he joined the council. He proved his military pride. Edward Seymour was ready for this position. Thomas Seymour? was the fourth son, um, not really expected to amount to much, um, described by Nicholas Throckmorton as fierce in courage, courtly in fashion, in person stately, 
in voice magnificent, but somewhat empty of matter. Um, you're going to be hearing a lot about him from Rebecca. <laughs> She's going to kind of resent that, but this is the facts. Um, or, or this was um, what people said about him then. Um, the, the base, his basic rise was slower. Um, let's say he was made a gentleman of Henry's Purdue Chamber, but really only started his career in 1538. Yes, he had ambassadorships, but there are some people who say that he only really got those because Henry was trying to keep him away from Catherine Parr. He was personable. He did make a really good ambassador, but he was never moved forward. There's even um, a story, apocryphal, but ooh, I love these stories. Um, that Henry on his deathbed, um, they're talking about the Regency Council and somebody says, Thomas Seymour should be on the Regency Council. And Henry's lying there and he hasn't said anything in days. And, but that one makes him sit up to go, no. So, but <laughs> Tom made it on anyway. And um, I, I, I did all this to show that there was really no way that Thomas Seymour could have become Lord Protector himself. He did not have the political support to do it, um, but he felt that he should have gotten more. Edward was made a duke and Tom was only made a baron, except that what, what that was, was it was the same inequality as when Henry was alive. It was just the ante was up. So Edward went from Earl to Duke and Thomas went from Sir to Baron. So, you know, and, and he didn't get quite enough money. Resented it. And so Somerset says to him, okay, you can be Lord High Admiral too. Problem is, is that the then Lord High Admiral who had to vacate the post to give it to Tom was none other than John Dudley, who became Earl of Warwick. And John Dudley was a bit of a vengeful man, and he's the one who became Northumberland, and um, it is said that that's the point at which he decided that he was going to um, destroy both of the Seymour brothers, um, which some people believe he did. Anyway, I'm getting off the subject. Um, and do you notice right now that I am doing what every other um, biographer has done, and it's one of the reasons that I wrote my book, is that I've talked about this entire story about Edward without once bringing him in. This is because, again, so much of his reign was he was hidden from it. And, it, you know, you kind of have to look and, and figure out well, what, what was he thinking about all this. Um, he he liked, let's get real, he liked Tom better than um, he did Somerset, which is why Thomas Seymour wanting, really wanted to be governor of the king's person. Not governor of the council, that can be Somerset. He wanted to be governor of the king's person. Somerset said no. Tom Seymour starts to want more power and he proposes to the council that he be allowed to marry um, Mary or Elizabeth. Um, the answer is that's never gonna happen. Um, they, they say that Somerset's answer was, we are neither of us meant to wed king's daughters. Um, so, hmm. now, interestingly, that would have happened right after Somerset got dissed by um, France. He wrote to Francis I to tell him about Henry's death, and he called him my brother. And Francis was just like, uh, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> the King of England is my brother. You're just an uncle. But so there would have been that, that you know, um, that uh, fear of overstepping. But anyway, Tom Seymour moves on and marries Catherine Park um, very soon after Henry's death. Um, when I say very soon, it was a few months, but most people expected her to keep um, in mourning for a couple of years. So yes, extremely soon. Um, it, and it was, it was time. It was a wonderful thing. They had been in love before. Um, Tom Seymour 
co-opts Edward. See, I'm, I'm bringing him in now. Um, Tom Seymour co-opts Edward in this to try to soften everything because he knows he's going to get in trouble. Um, so he says to Edward, well, who would you have me marry? Um, to try to get him himself to come around to say, marry Catherine Parr. And instead, Edward says, um, marry my sister Mary uh, to turn her Protestant. And Thomas Seymour said, that's probably a really bad idea. What would you think if I married um, your stepmother? Edward blesses it so that when the council finds out and gets angry, and Risley wants to send Tom Seymour to the tower, Tom's able to say, eh, the king said it was okay. Um, but you kind of have to wonder what, at, whether at that point, Edward knew that he had been played a little bit because um, he was really bright and he would have figured it out. And then um, a couple of other things happened um, like um, Tom and Catherine were married. They started their household. Catherine got pregnant. Elizabeth Seymour, uh, Elizabeth Seymour, Elizabeth Tudor comes to live with them. And inappropriate things happened in the household. Um, Tom Seymour would come in to wake her up very early in the morning while she was still in bed, um, would tickle her. And it was, he'd come in in his bare legs. It was, it was really inappropriate. And Catherine Parr, she took the position that it was innocent, that anyone who said it was inappropriate was wrong. And she joined in a couple of times. Um, not really the wisest thing to do. She also supposedly held Elizabeth down while Tom Seymour um, said to her, you shouldn't be wearing black anymore, it makes you look too old, and slashed the gown so that she was left with it pretty much exposed in the garden. Um, regardless, this is discovered, um, or Catherine discovers it, Elizabeth is sent from the household, I'm not sure at what point it really made it to court. It made it to court a little bit later. Um, but interesting, I, I'm going to confess this. In my book, I had them find out earlier just as gossip because I didn't want everything conflated together. I wanted a, a little bit of... The, the next thing that happened was... Um, Catherine Parr died, and Thomas went off the rails, wanted his power, but he had lost so much of it, and decided that the way he was going to get it was, that decided that he was going to get it. So first he tried to become Lord Protector by asking Edward to sign a piece of paper that said, um, you know, just please favor my uncle's suit. And Perhaps because Ed, of his previous experience, Edward says, mm, no, if it's good, the Lords will allow it. And so at that point, Edward kind of did know that something was up, doesn't work. Tom Seymour doubles down and breaks in, decides that he's going to try to get physical control of Edward and breaks into his apartments in the castle in the middle of the night. And um, unfortunately for him, Edward had a dog, a wonderful dog that slept with him. And the dog heard the noise, woke up, started barking, and Tom Seymour killed the dog. Now, sorry, Rebecca, this, this pisses her off more than anything that I could do. Um, she does, it, it is possible. That it was not Tom Seymour who killed the dog. It is possible that it was um, a servant that he was with uh, that, that went with him that killed the dog. To me, to me, the fact that anyone would kill the dog meant that you've got this guilty mind. You believe you're guilty. Otherwise, you'd actually be happy. If you're really trying to test security, which was the excuse that he used, if you're really trying to test the security, it's like, thank God, look at how close I made it before this dog stopped me. And instead, they killed the dog. So to me, that proves whatever. Um, at that point, there was no way for Thomas Seymour to escape his fate. There was a little bit of talk that his 
his argument was with Somerset and not with Edward. So it wasn't quite treason, but John Dudley pushed it through. He gets executed and that, that's it for the first uncle. The second uncle, because let's face it, the reign of Edward VI is all about betrayals over and over again, sets him up for the second betrayal, which is um, Somerset. Um, let's be real. Somerset, on Edward's behalf, made a lot of mistakes. Um, he tried to push for a Scottish marriage, which would have been great. Edward VI, Mary Queen of Scots, they marry, they unite the two countries. Perfect. Um, unfortunately, Somerset continued Henry's policy towards the Scots and tried to woo it, uh, woo them with an army. And, and that was like the famous Scottish line, you know, we didn't like the manner of your wooing. And that pushes them into the arms of France. That's why Mary Queen of Scots ends up in France is because Edward Seymour sent the army. Um, that was a mistake. The war was expensive. That was another mistake. And meanwhile, the religious reforms, which is what Edward VI cared about the most, don't you, there were a bunch of changes. The churches got whitewashed and a lot of the superstition was taken away, but they didn't go terribly far because they wanted to give a chance to get people used to it. So as a result, you had a lot of people in the country, Edward VI included, thinking that they weren't going far enough. And uh, a lot of the country, the, the Catholics, um, thinking that they had gone way too far. So nobody was happy and nobody was happy with anything. Um, Dudley, meanwhile, Somerset is not paying attention to the council. Dudley's getting angry. He's starting to take control. And Somerset does what Tom Seymour did before him and decides that he's going to take physical control of the boy grabs Edward and takes him off to Windsor. Now, this part of the story ends differently because Edward believed that this was necessary. Edward believed that Somerset was trying to keep him safe and Edward actually got to um, wave a little knife in, you know, in front of the crowd and go, are you with me? Protect me! And right before they ride away. So he saved Somerset from um, this part of the downfall, let him get back onto the council. Um, and that's when um, things started to mess up. John Dudley um, did not really want to share power. John Dudley had uh, gotten rid of Somerset initially, thrown him, you know, threw him into the tower. Be, uh, tried to bring back Henry's majority rule, everybody has an equal voice, that didn't work for the same reason that Somerset became Lord Protector in the first place, but Dudley takes the title um, Lord President of the Council, which is the same power, but less in your face. Um, and so he, I didn't mention the enclosures. I'm sorry. Um, one of the big problems um, that it, the thing that that really pushed the matter over the edge with Dudley and with the nobles was that um, Somerset was against the land enclosures. Um, so uh, basically, in feudal times, you had all of the common lands were owned by the nobles, but the common people were entitled to grow crops. And that was really important um, because it meant that they were able to eat, they sold a little bit of it, um, but that was nowhere near as profitable as it was to enclose the land and raise sheep. After Henry's death, there had been um, really bad harvests and there were famine and starvation throughout the land. So as people were enclosing their lands, it was making the problem worse. John Dudley had the fences that he had built around his land forcibly removed. And it was at that point that he really started going after Somerset. Um, Somerset takes Edward to Windsor, gets back, but, but John Dudley just keeps his eyes on destroying Somerset, which, um, 
he ends up, sorry, um, he ends up getting his chance. Um, Somerset was good for a while, but because people tend to love underdogs, there came a point at which people started listening to him again and again, and Dudley got nervous, so he invented a plot. Um, out of basically the idea was that Somerset was going to hold a big banquet um, and invite his enemies to the banquet and as they sat down they would be killed. It was a very um, Game of Thrones. I, I think there was um, a plot line like that on Game of Thrones um, but you know thankfully they discovered the plot. Um, they even found a peasant that had a vision that, oh, he whom the king most trusts will betray him. And that was said to me in Somerset. So Somerset is tried and convicted, but it still looks like he's going to um, get out of it. And so um, something happens at that point. John Dudley has been, um, what, what he did with Edward was different than what Somerset did because John Dudley pretended that Edward was doing everything. And he didn't just pretend, he would visit him at night in a private, in a, a private room and they would discuss what they were going to do in the council the following day so that Edward would know everything, could practice stuff, and could sound really smart in front of anyone else. And this was the ultimate opportunity for Dudley, um, who at this point had become Duke of Northumberland. Um, this was the ultimate opportunity for, North for Northumberland to manipulate things. So he says to Edward, you know, with Somerset, you're too close to the matter, let the council decide. So Edward writes out his instructions to the council. Um, and what he says is, um, you know, please de determine Somerset's sentence that by his punishment, example may be shown to others, meaning that, or leaving open the possibility of a fine or other punishment. Somebody between the time that Edward writes this and the instructions are given to the council, somebody, has inserted the words that by his punishment and execution according to the laws, example may be shown to others. Meaning that it looked clear that Edward was asking for Somerset to be executed and the council came back and said, execute him. Now, did Edward ever discover that change? I don't know. Um, I actually think he did because what we have is this situation um, a couple of months after Somerset's execution, the court is playing at archery. And, you know, um, of, of, that, that was like the one of the big things. And Northumberland is one of the shooters and he shoots and it was a lousy shot. And Edward very casually just looks at him and goes, mm, you aimed better when you cut off the head of my uncle Somerset. So, <laughs> so he knew that Northumberland was behind something. Um, and that was, so he did know something was up, whether he knew that he had been completely played was um, a different story, but that was the second betrayal, which sets us up to um, the third one, which Edward was betrayed by his own body. Um, like his stepbrother, Henry Fitzroy, like his uncle, Arthur Tudor, his 15-year-old lungs developed a malady that killed him. And that's where he panicked. Um, so let's go back into his point of view. He is, um, he's pro-reform. Now, at his coronation and throughout, they referred to him as England's Josiah. Um, and this was a reference to um, Josiah who became king of Judah at age eight and was the one who removed all of the pagan temples 
from throughout the land and it was a wonderful thing isn't that isn't this great you know we eight nine coming to the throne removing pagan temples this is this england's josiah here's the problem the second part of the story that nobody ever talks about is the fact that after josiah died all of the reforms were reversed edward would have been sitting there thinking i'm gonna die and mary is going to come to the throne and all my reforms are going to be reversed this can't be so it was in this frame of mind that he starts to frame his device for the succession and the device for the succession involves skipping over mary and skipping over elizabeth even though elizabeth was a protestant princess skipping over the two of them and going directly to francis gray we do know that he originally wrote his device for the for the succession when he thought he was going to live because if you if you read it there are a whole bunch of things that you know francis gray he left the throne he was looking so desperately for a male heir he left the throne to francis gray's male heirs if she has any before my death um or to anybody who has a male heir before my death in that side of the family um but as he got worse things had to get a little bit more practical um and so as his health deteriorated all of a sudden um, northumberland gets incredibly opportunistic and they figure out that okay we're going to implement this idea on um, may 21st and edward is about to die in july on may 21st um, there is a triple wedding and lady jane gray is married to northumberland's son um, guilford dudley catherine dudley is married to henry hastings the heir to the earldom of huntington and catherine gray is married to lord herbert the heir to the earldom of pembroke and this way these unions give northumberland powerful and committed allies meanwhile they're pushing everything they can through the council and through the legal system this is where um, a lot of people say that edward the sixth was poisoned um, and that's why he died he wasn't he didn't die because he was poisoned northumberland did give him arsenic um, and he did that to keep him alive for as long as they needed to to get the legalities done. Because remember, the act of succession through which Mary was going to inherit had been ratified by act of parliament. So you can't just have the council or the king say, I'm going to change this. You need something a little bit more than that. What they did was, because um, there wasn't time to go to parliament, parliament probably would have said no. They took the issue to the judges of the king's bench, which was the land's highest court, with jurisdiction over all cases involving the crown. Its records could get reviewed by Parliament, but by the time Parliament got around to reviewing it, the damage would have been done, or you know, the, the good deed would have been done, and everything would have been fine. The judges weren't stupid. They got a pardon for their treason in advance because it was treason to mess with the succession like that. And with this advance pardon, they went ahead and said, Jane Grey. Um, at that point, Northumberland didn't need him anymore, and the arsenic stopped, and Edward um, was able to die, and which he did, and spoiler alert, his plan didn't work. Um, it was a tragedy all around, his life, his death, his unfulfilled dreams, and everything. It was um, a tragedy. Uh, questions? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> it's like, you know, bumming you out and then like at the at the very last minute, that's kind of it. So yeah. Awesome. So if people have questions, um, thank you, Janet, for that, by the way. Um, if people have questions, yeah, so you can either type them or if you want to raise your hand. So you should have down at the bottom of your Zoom screen, you should be able to have a little area that says participants. And when you click on that or press on that, you can have an option to raise your hand. So raise your hand and we will call on you and you can unmute yourself um, and ask your question, or you can just type it. 
and we'll go through the chat. So there are a couple um, hands getting raised a while. Um, Lisa, I saw yours first. So I see you're all, all ready there to, um, to go. So I have asked you to unmute, so go for it. Janet, I love when you talk. <laughs> I love your book, seriously. I have two questions if it's okay. First one is, being that, um, and I never put together, Henry Fitzroy, Arthur, and Edward all died of lung ailments. Could it have been genetic through like the male, like Henry VII, Henry VIII passed it down? And the second question is, do we ever know what happened to the child between Catherine Parr and Thomas Seymour? Would she have been a royal? And I, I, she's just so obscure. It's, there's nothing about her, I think. The child, um, we know there, there are like a, a few things. So they had their child and um, after Tom Seymour, okay, sorry. Catherine Parr dies. Tom Seymour's mom comes to live at Sudeley to take care of the child. She's getting a little bit older. Tom Seymour is executed and it's too much for Tom's mom. And the Duchess of Suffolk ends up taking the child. We then lose um, um, mention until there is a tomb um, that shows a two-year-old, uh, the tomb of a two-year-old child that talks about, you know, oh, the pains I gave my queenly mother killed her. Uh -huh. And so that is said to be the child of um, Catherine Parr. There was for a long time Agnes Strickland, um, the 19th century biographer, um, she gave us this crazy story of um, uh, Mary Seymour who lived into adulthood, but everyone believes that this is the tomb that Mary Seymour died at age two. Um, what was the first question? Oh, so is, is, would, could it possibly have been a genetic thing through the male line of the Tudors in that they all died of lung ailments and it, like the, the girls were fine? <laughs> I, I think it has to, I don't think it could be anything else. I, I do believe that it was that, I'm sorry, three kids, that close, you know, in in, yeah. in like biological thing, all dying of lung ailments at age fifteen. There, there's just no question. Now, Edward had gotten measles the the year before and had shrugged it off, but that would have exacerbated everything. Um, so, no, thank uh, you. Um. And Lisa, since you're unmuted anyway, just you reminded me that Janet is going to be our book club. Um, we have a book club. Lisa, I'm the book club it. lady. <laughs> book club lady. And, so Janet. Yeah, I actually just made the event this morning. It's November eighth. We are going to be discussing Janet's book, uh, "The Path to Somerset." Um, and as a wonderful thing, Janet's going to be with us to discuss her book. So if you don't, so yeah, I love when the author's there and Janet is phenomenal because you. You, you have great questions because I don't come up with them all. But so <laughs> we're discussing the Path to Somerset on November 8th. And the, so the somebody asked, how do you join? We, we post it all in the Tudor Learning Circle. Um, so you, you can just check it there. We, we create the events there um, and you And can, I'll put it on uh, TudorCon 2020, the hashtag as well, if you want. Yeah, that'd be okay. great. Yeah. So I, I just want to um, mention, yes, just want to mention one thing about the path to Somerset. That is basically the story of Henry's second triad of wives. It is the Anne of Cleves, um, Catherine Howard, Catherine Parr story, and just Edward's rise during this. When anytime you talk to Henry, he was in a different mood at breakfast as he was after supper, and you didn't know if he was going to fly into a rage or agree with you. So people were walking on eggshells. So that's that book before you get to my boy king, which is new. Anyway, sorry, go on. Question. Okay. Okay, so um, there is another question, Irina. Um, I'm going to ask you to unmute and you can ask your question, and we'll get to the chat ones after that as well. So um, I have asked you to unmute. Go for it. Okay. Um, so this is kind of a speculative question. Um, you mentioned uh, that Catherine Parr is uh, played a big part in Edward being uh, raised. Uh, 
in the Protestant faith and everything. So um, maybe this is something that you address in your books, which I am going to read after this, definitely. Um, if James Seymour had survived uh, giving birth to Edward, would it would Edward's education been a lot different? And would is it possible that he would have been more towards the Catholic faith and everything? Now that's a great question. Um, I think so. Jane Seymour was very sympathetic to the Catholic side. Now, I don't believe that Henry would have um, gone back to Rome. There was absolutely no question of that. He, you know, Church of England, Church of England, but Henry veered back and forth between more reform, less reform, and kind of stayed mostly on the side of less reform during, um, after Jane's death. Um, I, I think she would have pushed him a little bit further. I don't know that all of the monasteries would have been dissolved. Um, I think in all likelihood, he would have left a couple for her because here she had a son and she could basically ask anything. Um, so I do believe that there would have been less reform and probably Edward himself would not have been as reformist um, as he had. But if he had gotten the same tutors, maybe, I don't know. But, but I, I think that if Jane had lived, the world would have been a very different place. It, it really would have. Awesome. So I am going to go through and get some of the chats here. So um, I have two questions, both about the succession issue. What do you think, why do you think a generation was skipped making Jane the heir rather than her mother, Frances? And did Edward and Jane Grey actually know each other? Okay. So Frances needed to be skipped because Frances was not Catholic, but she was less reformist than um, her daughter, certainly. Um, so, you know, if you're trying not to bring the country back to <laughs> superstition, Francis doesn't work. Um, the second reason, and this is um, another more cynical reason, is that um, it depends how much influence you think Northumberland had in the whole debacle. So originally, Edward's first thought was to leave the throne to Francis's male descendants. And Northumberland just said, no, 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 leave it to Jane. Don't worry about her. She'll marry my Guilford, and I will make sure that she does the right thing. So yes, um, that was, and now I'm not remembering the first question. I, I keep on doing this. I answer the second question and then the first one was, and, and um, I wanted to answer it. No, you said, why do you think a generation was skipped, um, which you oh. answered, and then did Edward and Jane Grey actually know each other? Yes. Oh, absolutely. They knew each other very well. They were cousins. Um, they were, it's one of the reasons um, that Mary pardoned Jane to begin with, um, because the, they grew up together. Um, not just Mary and Jane Grey, but Edward and Jane Grey as well. There were, so a household in England, um, you always had a lot of people learning together and hanging out together. The household was a unit and you had the most powerful person assembling people of similar power. And that happened at just about every level. So yes, um, Jane Grey would have absolutely been part of um you know I, I don't want to say court life but the you know the, the the children's court um so yes and and very a, a very good relationship too cool so here's one my understanding is that jane jane seymour was a fairly devout catholic what was the faith of the seymour brothers during her reign and when did somerset become such a strong protestant um that started early. Um, Edward, um, remember that Edward was part of Henry's inner circle. Okay, I mentioned before that he was one of the people who went with Henry and Anne Boleyn to Calais. 
Edward was pro-reform. He was, you know, Henry, yeah, you, you can do this. This is great. So Jane was not. And that was um, actually a conflict between them while she was alive. And he just continued on. And um, especially with um, Norfolk leading the Catholic party, there was like a natural, you know, oil and water move to the other side type thing. Oh, we have that already. Oh my gosh. You should see the chat between me. <laughs> All right. Um, sorry. That's okay. Okay. So I kind of, let me see. I, I lost our questions. Let's see. Um, people are recommending your books, which is good. You know, another book, I don't want to steer people away from your books because your books are amazing too, but the most ma recent Matthew Shardlake book, um, the CJ Samson series, that's all about, um, it's set where in Norwich and Cat's Rebellion, and it's all about the land enclosures and stuff like that too. So if people really want to dig deep into land enclosures. Um, that's a fun one. So a genetic defect on the mail line. How do we join the book club? Didn't know there was a book club, book club, book club. Highly recommend Janet's books. Yay. Um, genetic issues, not just with Henry. Um, should I read the first book in the series prior to reading Path to Somerset? Then somebody said, yeah, probably. <laughs> so <laughs> there's uh sorry. you can read them out of order. They are all really standalone. Um, but if you read them in order, there are a couple of little things that you'll like giggle at. Um, because, um, so one of the things that for me in The Boy King, having, getting Edward to the point where he had to kill his first uncle, Thomas Seymour, was a really difficult thing because it's the power of you know, this is somebody who really cared about how in the world was he able to allow this to happen? One, summon up the image of the dog, but two, his father had the experience of Catherine Howard and having to get, well, and, and Anne Boleyn too, but Catherine Howard, it really happened as opposed to Anne Boleyn where he made it up. And so in the path to Somerset, there is a scene um, when Henry has just gotten the Abraham tapestries and he brings Edward in to show them to him. And it's shortly after Catherine Howard's execution and, you know, Henry gets all Henry on him and just says, you know, with treason, no matter who it is, if somebody betrays you, you have to kill him. And so that makes a reappearance in The Boy King where Edward just remembers this. It doesn't matter how close they are. If they betray you, they have to die because um, philosophically, I, I just went into this because they, the, the theory is that they can't forgive themselves and therefore they will try again. And so this was also something that Edward would have seen himself with Tom Seymour first trying to get him, you know, first getting him to approve of the marriage and providing cover for the, the marriage to Catherine Parr, then trying to get him to write a letter to say, oh, she, you know, please counsel support my uncle's suit. And now this, so you would have seen the repeat pattern here. So he would have, he would have seen that as inevitable. And then, of course, once he killed one uncle, the next one comes along. It's a lot easier to do it. Because that death warrant, Edward did have to sign. Edward signed Somerset's death warrant, but Somerset signed Tom Seymour's death warrant. He gets a lot of crap about it, um, even though if Somerset hadn't signed it, the nine-year-old would have had to sign, which I think would have been a lot worse. So, um, yeah, Somerset signed Tom's death warrant. Interesting. Do you think that Edward would have persecuted Catholics in the same way that Mary I did with Protestants? Or do you think he would have been maybe a more just ruler or more ruthless and righteous like his father? Okay, so I said early on that Edward might have outcrazied Henry. Um, there's, there's, this, there's this one scene um, where he did not believe that his advisors were going far enough 
in, um, he wanted Mary arrested um, and he wanted Catholicism stopped. And, you know, just because Mary had a powerful, um, you know, uncle, he didn't want that. He wanted them to push ahead with Mary and he's in, a, he's in a council meeting, one of the few that he actually went with and he's got, he pulls out a dead falcon that he had hidden and he, they're talking and he just starts plucking the feathers out of them, out of, out of the bird. And at one point he rips the leg off the bird and says, you see how I'm plucking this? This is how I'm going to pluck you. And you know, that's right. <laughs> So, so I can see Edward really going way too far. I, I, I can. I, um, you know, we see it happen with Mary um, because of the same thing. Because of the, and and I'm going to put it on the idea that um, they they believed that God had put them there. And by the way, the, what what really God? Although I'm I'm going to walk this back because I, I just want to say like one thing. Mary started burning heretics when she was pregnant. Okay, so here Mary believes that God has put her on the throne to reverse the terrible reforms of her brother and then her father. God has put her there to restore Catholicism. She hasn't done it enough, and her baby's not coming out. God will not allow her son to be born until she fixes, until she does his work. And that's when she starts burning heretics. When, but we, as we all know, this was a phantom pregnancy. There was never a baby there in the first place. So, you know, that's what with, with these tutors. And there's always like this one, you know, seminal event <laughs> sets them over the edge, and and that was Mary's. So, yeah. poor Mary. Um, somebody said, people are saying thanks for the great answers. Somebody said, can I just say I'm deleted? I think she means elated to finally find other people who are into the tutors. I want to be friends with all of you. Well, Vanessa, we want to be friends with you too. So hooray. Um, and let's see. So people are just saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you. Glad we found others to talk about um are the books novels yeah they're um historical fiction and then people are giving links to your books all three for 20 bucks on amazon can't beat it um <laughs> where's the headstone of little mary seymour do we need, we have to look that up maybe i am trying to remember i i run a blog um and i did do a post on that and i will get back to you with that link um i know i did a post on it um and and yeah, there's photos. If you Google it, um, there's there's photos there. Um, anyway, yeah. Um, so there we go. Uh, okay, Tom Seymour reminds me of Robert Dudley. Thanks for making this available. Blah 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 blah. Something about Ozzy Osbourne. I'm not really sure where we got that, but I'm just scanning. So. Um, if you have questions about what's going on or if you have questions for janet that didn't all right yeah okay we didn't um eric says can i just can i say something um yeah eric you can raise your hand or you can type up to you um if you raise your hand we'll call on you but um you can put in your janetwortman.com is your website you can put in your socials uh, if you want but people can find you janetwortman.com Get, get your books, your books are great. And thank you for being here. Thank you for being here at TudorCon. Thank you for being part of this. I'm so glad oh, to have you. Oh, thank it. you. This is, this is the greatest place in the world, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> and it's only like 10 o'clock in California, so it's too early for the wine bar aspect, but that, that'll be soon. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So can you imagine having all of that happen live, in person? Wasn't that fun, right? That's what TudorCon is like. So if you want to come this year in person, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, um, at the beautiful winery outside of the Renaissance Fair in Mannheim, Pennsylvania, um, go to englandcast.com TudorCon to learn more about the place, the dates, September 9th through 11th, get your tickets, uh, you can pay with the payment plan. Remember, you just 
click to buy your ticket. And then when you go to check out, just choose shop pay. That's the installment setup. And you can pay up to 12 installments interest-free. All right. Hey, thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful 4th of July weekend. I hope it's safe. I hope it is enjoyable, restful, all of the wonderful things. And um, it's my first 4th of July back in America in since 2014. So looking forward to some celebration with family. Hopefully you have a long weekend as well. And just listen to three hours of tutor tutor madness so go you it's a commitment it's a commitment i get it all right um thank you so much and i will speak with you again soon i am working on another episode for two weeks from now on none such palace henry viii's um massive dream palace that he built after the death of jane seymour so that will be coming out in about two weeks all right talk to you later for here love can for here love for here love for here love sleep for here love for here love morning Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.